Yes, we're open. Living Faith with Needham UCC, a sermon podcast from the Congregational Church of Needham United Church of Christ, where no matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you're invited and welcome. This sermon for Sunday, October 10th, 2021, is entitled Rage. It's the fourth installment in our series, putting the book See No Stranger, a memoir and manifesto of revolutionary love by Valerie Kaur, into conversation with the gospel of Jesus Christ. This sermon is a reflection on a reading from the gospel according to Mark, chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. If you enjoy this podcast and would like to find out more about our open and affirming ministries at the Congregational Church of Needham, United Church of Christ, simply head over to our website, www.needhamucc.org. Thank you. Scripture this morning comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Jesus returned to the synagogue. A man with a withered hand was there. Wanting to bring charges against Jesus, they, the Pharisees, watched, were watching Jesus closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the withered hand, step up where people can see you. Then Jesus said to them, is it legal on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they said nothing. Looking around at them with anger, deeply grieved at their unyielding hearts, Jesus said to the man, stretch out your hand. So he did, and his hand was made healthy. Now, as I begin exploring this story from scripture this morning in conversation with our all church read, See No Stranger, a memoir and manifesto of revolutionary love by six civil rights activist and lawyer, Valerie Kaur, I feel moved to lift up two points. First, a content warning. The chapter we encounter today discusses multiple types of assault, and we could not explore this chapter and its meaning authentically without naming these. Second, a language note. We are discussing a story where Jesus heals a man's hand. And while we have certainly grappled with ableism in Bible stories before, it is important to acknowledge it again and once more say that there are many ways of being embodied and experiencing the world. We meet up with Jesus on the Sabbath, when he has returned to a crowded temple where the Pharisees are just waiting for him to do something wrong. Surely they are watching as he encounters a man with a withered arm. Jesus is watching them, watching him, that's for sure. He is watching the Pharisees as they stand on the side, casting aside a man who needs, if not healing, at the very least, his community around him. 
And instead of helping him, inviting him in, or just loving him, they ignore the man and focus all of their attention on Jesus for the sole purpose of casting judgment. Jesus is not just angry. He is deeply grieved. His heart is broken because their hearts are hard, closed off to the suffering of others. And this grief in Jesus inspires rage, and this rage inspires love. And from that place of deep divine compassion, Jesus tells the man in front of him to stretch out his withered hand. Valerie Kaur knows deeply what it is to be the person in the story with a withered hand. Kaur was serving as a legal observer in the August 31st, 2004 protests in New York City when she was the victim of violence at the hands of a plainclothes police officer. Kaur had been wearing the appropriate badge and had her camera in hand documenting the events of the day when she says she suddenly felt her arms yanked behind her back. I'm a legal observer. I'm not part of the action. You did not give me a warning, she says and says again. And then she says she felt something digging into her wrists, sharp plastic handcuffs tightened so hard that they caused deep purple gashes, and over the course of 16 hours being detained, damaged one hand so badly that she would lose feeling and need to seek treatment after she was released. This initial injury would continue to rob Valerie of movement and would in fact get worse over time, leading to chronic pain and core seeking relief and rehabilitation from doctors and healers of all sorts. After graduating from theological school and being accepted to law school, Valerie would ultimately defer law school for two years because of the physical toll her injury continued to cause. Growing in severity alongside the effects of the sexual assault she had endured at an early age. Despite the daily pain and the disruption to the mobility that she had known before, Kaur was still determined to love her enemies, those police officers and family members who had inflicted violence and afflicted her body and her mind. Valerie thought that this path to loving her opponent might begin with trying to understand them. But trying to see both sides isn't rooted in love, as she soon found out. It doesn't acknowledge the harm that one side or another could, be, could actively be doing. And as, Cow, as Kaur was learning about the concept of the banality of evil in divinity school, she considered the point that the officers who had hurt her, and one in particular who came to mind, Lieutenant Campo, she considered that they were just following orders. She says that she thought about how he must have rationalized his actions as moral because they aligned with the norms of the system in which he operated. Perhaps he was like the Pharisees 
who operated in a world where a man could suffer on the Sabbath day and no one would heal him or pay any attention because the rules they were following told them not to. But the more Kaur dug into this attempt to understand her opponent, the worse the pain in her arm became. She tried again to love her enemies, this time rooting herself in compassion, compassion for others, until she found herself running breathlessly out of a loving kindness workshop after having been asked to imagine her opponent happy, at peace, and safe when she herself felt none of these things. I had absorbed the lie, Cora writes, that love requires us to rush to tend our opponents before we tend to ourselves. After Compassion Core tried empathy, where she was finally able to acknowledge a feeling, rage. Although she was not yet able to claim that rage and name it as a form of love. After, after compassion and empathy came forgiveness. Valerie tried to forgive the cousin who had hurt her as a child. Cor said that for a long time, she had thought that forgiveness meant forgetting about the past. So she drove out to meet her cousin at a park. And when he pulled out a weapon, she knew that this was not the answer either. Finally, one of Valerie's mentors, someone who was adept in healing historical trauma, was able to help Valerie meet her rage in a safe space. Cor imagined herself as a tiger, chasing and destroying her enemies, but destruction did not obliterate them. In her mind's eye, when Valerie destroyed an enemy, it revealed her opponent's truest and most vulnerable selves. The lieutenant became a frail man, naked and anxious, she writes, a white man who did not know what else to do with his anxiety, but rage at the women of color in proximity to him. And in her cousin's place, she saw the young brown boy who had watched his alcoholic father beat a mother who would not leave him. When Valerie channeled her rage in these safe containers, she was able to see the wounded cells of the others. I could not see the wound in them until I tended to the wound inside of me, she writes. My rage showed me that I was worth protecting. Now, Kaur doesn't just reflect on her personal journey to love through rage. She also offers a reflection through this story on this journey for all of us by reminding us that rage is healthy and normal and necessary, a necessary to re response to trauma. And she says it is the rightful response to the trauma of patriarchy and white supremacy, misogyny, homophobia, transphobia, and poverty. How we process and use our rage though is important. Holding on to our anger can weaken our immune systems. It can increase our risk of stroke and heart attack. 
make anxiety worse, trigger depression, cause breathing problems, and even shorten our overall lifespan. So if we hold on to rage, we are only harming ourselves. But letting our anger explode outwards, wherever we are unchecked, can cause problems as well. Destroying relationships with others, destroying our relationship with ourselves. So what's the answer then? Core says that the key is finding safe containers to process and to channel our rage. Emotional, safe spaces that are safe enough to express our body's impulses. Maybe we weep or shake or vent. Maybe we write or meditate or go to therapy. Maybe we create our own rituals to express our rage and give it meaning outside of ourselves. And once we are able to be in relationship with our rage, not to feel ashamed by it, not to feel controlled by it, but to be in relationship with it, we can discern how we will use it. On that Sabbath day in the temple, Jesus used his rage to heal, to heal another person. And in that process, he showed the Pharisees and us what truly mattered. He didn't lash out. He asked a question. Is it legal on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil? And when they would not answer, he did the work that needed to be done inspired by rage, regardless of what the Pharisees would consider civil or proper. Kor says that the aim of divine rage is not vengeance, but the aim is to reorder the world. Divine rage is precise and purposeful. It points us to the humanity of even those we are fighting and creates a new world for all of us. Kor says that after her reintroduction to rage, she began to see more instances of divine rage in activists and people who showed up in the wake of tragedy to abide, to speak, and to listen. She says, I see divine rage in people who stand up to tell the truth, whether it's at school board meetings or workplaces, on social media, and even around the kitchen table. So beloved, where have you seen divine rage at work in this world? I remember a few years ago now taking a group of our high school students to City Reach. It's an overnight immersion in downtown Boston where we accompanied a member of the unhoused community on a walking tour of Boston as they experienced it. We heard their stories and we worshiped together before serving together the next day. One of the program leaders had told us that she had gotten involved with City Reach because she had seen someone on the street in the middle of one of our slushy Boston winters without shoes, sitting on wet cardboard. And she was filled with rage. 
not because she was subjected to seeing this scene, but because the person was subjected to this type of inhumanity. And that rage in that moment lit a fire within her. She said that that rage moved her to change jobs, to focus on reordering the world right here around her, to channel that angry, active love into change and into creation. And then she told our youth, I hope that there's a spark in you too. Valerie says that rage protects that which we love. Jesus teaches us to love those on the margins, those who are cast out. Jesus teaches us to love also ourselves and our enemies. Rage protects that which we love. And processing our rage in safe spaces and through healthy practices helps us to love each other, ourselves, and our opponents authentically and deeply too. So let us pray. Holy and loving God, keep our hearts soft. Let us be malleable to rage and to love. Keep our eyes open to see divine rage all around us. When it is sparked within us, help us to tend that fire, to use and transform our raw rage into something divine so that we might do your work of love, even as we continue to learn and understand what love means and requires of us. Amen.